Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. A chance encounter, a collision of worlds, and a night they will never forget. I'm Kevin Strasser, and I'd like you to meet Jem, Ari, and Lyra, the stars of my latest single, The Runaways, available now on Spotify. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another Eddie Trunk podcast. And, of course, the podcast is free and available to you with new episodes going up every Thursday. PodcastOne.com. Spotify, totally free. No subscription needed. And, of course, Apple Podcasts. And, man, man, oh, man, do I have an interview for you this week. This interview is with somebody who is basically, I regard at least, as the founding father of the entire world of heavy rock. He is the architect. He is the creator. Now, a few days ago, sadly, we lost one of the architects of rock and roll in Little Richard. Uh, This guy would absolutely qualify as being called the architect of heavy metal and and very few if any would argue with that statement because this week on my podcast I will bring you about 70 70 70 uninterrupt uninterrupted minutes with Tony Iommi and uh you know what can you say when you get the opportunity to Spend that much time and visit with a legend and icon like Tony. It is always a big, big thrill. And I, you know, as life goes on and we all get older, you savor those moments even more. So as I tell you every week, the, uh, the interview you're about to hear originated and first aired on my daily radio show, Trunk Nation which is Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on Volume, which is channel 106 on Sirius XM. 
If you're in the U.S. or Canada, be sure to listen every day, live 2 to 4 Eastern, and the replay is every night, 10 to midnight Eastern, and then, of course, the shows go on demand on the app, the interviews, and all that. So I, you know, in the last, uh, I just went back to doing live shows, by the way, a couple weeks ago on the uh, SiriusXM volume show. And previous to that, everything had to be pre-recorded for a couple months due to the pandemic. So I was going through and randomly taking some shots at having some guests and some people on to keep that show interesting while it was in pre-recorded mode as best I could and reach out to people that I wanted to talk to who hadn't been on the show in a long time and who I hadn't interviewed in a long time. Tony Iommi and the Sabbath guys outside of Ozzy, who I really do not know, I only interviewed Ozzy once in my life and it was a long time ago on the phone and there's weirdness there. We'll leave it at that. I'm not going to get into all of it now. It's just silly and it doesn't have anything to do with him, but you can figure it out probably who <laughs> has something to do with. But anyway, um, point being, I've done very little, if ever, anything with Ozzy. And unfortunately, because of Ozzy's representation and whatever they're feeding him, or whatever they believe, um, when Ozzy is in Sabbath and doing Sabbath, I've done very little with the Sabbath camp. But when Sabbath is dormant, or when they had Dio in the band, I did a ton with that lineup and those guys in Sabbath. So I've established a long time ago uh, connections and friendships and relationships with Tony and Geezer and, of course, Ronnie, who's no longer with us. I've seen Geezer quite a bit. I've had Geezer on my shows not too long ago. Geezer bowled with me two years in a row now on the, the Dio Cancer Fund event in L.A. Geezer predominantly lives in Los Angeles. Tony still is based in England. So anyway, I took a swing with Tony because it had been years since I talked to him. And I always love the guy. And we have a great relationship. There's no issue whatsoever. It's just politics get into the picture sometimes. All this to say, heard back from his manager and said, yeah, Tony would love to catch up with you. And I've said this so many times. The best interviews to me are the ones that aren't about promoting or selling a specific product. It always made me crazy when so many artists will say, well, I'm not doing press right now. I got nothing to promote. If you got a 20, 30, 40, 50 year old, old history, I get that most people want to only do interviews when they're trying to sell something, which is most of them, but sometimes, you know, just keeping your story out there and connecting with people and connecting with new fans or maybe making new fans is really good to do. And those interviews to me tend to be the best because it's not, there's not a publicist in your ear or a handler or an agent or a manager pumping you to talk about this, stay on this, keep pumping the record. It's just shooting the shit. And I had a chance to do that with Tony. We talked for 70 minutes and you're going to hear every minute of it in minutes right here on this week's podcast. And I talked to Tony about all eras of Sabbath. One of the things you will get with the interviews that I do with Tony and Geezer 
way more so than probably any other interviews they do, is a focus on the other eras of the band. Because those eras are really important to me and a lot of other people. Because for me, it's when I discovered Sabbath. My first Sabbath record was Heaven and Hell. So I, you know, with my age and what have you, that's where I really slot in with Sabbath. And I don't hear a lot talked about some of those other eras or, or a lot from other people talking about that. So, And as you're about to hear, Tony really loves to talk about the other eras of Sabbath. I think a lot of other people, to some degree, write that off. So we touch on Tony Martin. We touch on, of course, some Aussie stuff. We touch, of course, on Dio. We touch on Ian Gillen with some great stories about Born Again. Talk about what Tony's doing now. Talk about the end of Sabbath and how it ended. Just great, great stuff. And of course, how Tony is doing health-wise. Remember, this is a guy that's been battling cancer. And, uh, you know, what his plans are for the future, and if he has any, now that Sabbath has called it a day. So, to me, in my view, this is, you know, this is as big as it gets. In terms of an interview, if you're a hard rock or a heavy rock fan, you know, spending over an hour with Iomi, you kidding me? Even though I've interviewed him countless times and known him for a long time, it's still a huge thrill. You will hear it in its entirety in a matter of minutes on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. I cannot wait for you to check it out. Uh, Remember again, all of the interviews you do hear. All originate on my Sirius XM radio show, which if you're in the U.S. or Canada, you can hear for free over the app. Be sure to sign up for the free streaming. It goes until the end of May, and you can sign up at SiriusXM.us slash SXM. Remember that URL. It'll take you right to my show. SiriusXM.us slash Eddie Trunk SXM. If you haven't been doing it already and you're not already a subscriber and you're in the U.S. or Canada, sign up for your free listening via the app and you can hear stuff on demand, hear my show stream live, hear the replay, whatever the case may be. Trunk Nation is on now. Once again, live shows every day, 2 to 4 Eastern on 106. Also want to thank my friends at Goodies. And at Goodies Powder, Goodies makes tremendous products. And their latest is a hangover remedy, which I'm sure many can use. Goodies also was cool enough to make these really cool Trunk Nation bumper stickers for me. If you'd like to get one, I'll send you a couple totally free in the mail. Send me a self-addressed stamp envelope to P.O. Box 41, Cedar Knolls, New Jersey, 07927. Again, that's P.O. Box 41, Cedar Knolls, C-E-D-A-R-K-N-O-L-L-S, New Jersey, 07927. Just put sticker on the envelope. You must include a self-addressed stamped envelope, and I will send you out a couple stickers. And Only addresses in the U.S., please. 
I just can't get into doing international mailing on stickers. It's just too involved, especially now with the pandemic and customs forms. Can't do it. Don't have the time. But self-addressed stamped envelope, I'll do my best to get you out a couple of these very cool stickers. Thanks to our friends at Goodies. Check out their new headache powder. Uh, It is awesome. Goodiespowder.com, the website. There is fast. And now there is, of course, Goodies Fast. Be sure to check out Goodies Hangover at Walmart, Amazon, and other retailers. And get more information at goodiespowder.com. So, Iomi, it's all you need to say on this week's podcast. Be sure to follow me on social media at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, fan page on Facebook. EddieTrunk.com is the official online home. Coming back, we will talk for over an hour. All things Sabbath with Tony Iommi on this week's Eddie Trunk podcast. Podcast One presents, this is a collect call from Sing Sing. My name is John J. Lennon. I'm locked up for selling drugs and committing murder. I'm also a contributor for Esquire magazine and the Marshall Project. So I'm a writer and I'm a prisoner. Imagine trying to stay focused and talk about issues of substance with geeks slamming, prisoners screaming, and PAs blaring in the background. Get new episodes every Wednesday on Spotify, Podcast One, and Apple Podcasts. Hey, it's Eddie Trunk. Let's get into it right now. For over an hour, a conversation with the icon, brand new interview, Tony Iommi, on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. Tony, thank you so much for the time. How are you today? Very well, thank you, Eddie. Yeah, it's lovely to talk to you as well. It has been such a long time. It it has been. Before we we get into some stuff that I wanted to ask you about, how are you doing? Uh, You're in England, I assume, right? Yes, I'm in England, yeah. And how are things there? You know, obviously the world we're in, it's pretty uh, just insane with this virus and how it's impacting so many. How are things there where you are? Are you you in Birmingham? Uh, No, I'm out of Birmingham. I'm in the place called the Cotswolds, which is uh, way out of Birmingham, an hour and a half, two hours out of Birmingham. Um, so it's uh, it's great here. It's a nice village. It's extremely quiet at the moment because normally it's a tourist village, but um, very quiet. Obviously, with everybody being locked in, you know, it's uh, that's the way it is at the moment. It's very strange. Yeah, how are you? How are you uh, handling it? Are you somebody that normally does go out a lot, or is you know? I've talked to some people, and they're like, "Well, I I kind of quarantine all the time anyway, and stay in quite a bit yeah. anyway." Is this the norm for <laughs> well, you, or is it kind of having an effect on you? Well, it, it's knowing that you can't go out. That's what does it with me. I mean, if I don't mind staying in, there's plenty of stuff to do around the house, and we can go in the garden if it's nice weather and stuff. So that's good. But I'm so used to being able to pop out when I want to go out. And, and of course, here, you can, you're can you only allowed to go out for a quick walk, you know, half an hour or so. Um, and then um, you're back back in the house uh, unless you have to go shopping for anything. And then, it's, it's you know, you have to go out as least as you can, really, once a week or, or, or what, you know. So it is strange. But again, it's a bit like being on tour. You know, when you're on tour, you're in a hotel room all the time and you you get ready and go and do the show and then you come back and go to the hotel. So it's a bit 
the same sort of thing. Yeah, that's a good point. I never thought of it quite like that, but that's true, actually. And and Tony, how is how is your health? I mean, obviously, everybody knows you've you've battled cancer, and especially with this virus going going around, it's in, in, incredibly dangerous for people who also have underlying conditions. How how have you been health wise? I've been fine, dare I say it, uh, Eddie. Um, I feel good, and uh, funny enough, I've just had my specialist phone me up 10 minutes ago to see how I was, uh, because obviously you can't go in. He doesn't want me to come into the hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, I supposed to have been in today, but uh, he said, oh, I'm glad you didn't come in, because, you know, it, it's safer to be at home. Uh, but, but no, I've been feeling good. I feel fine, and uh, just itching to uh, get moving again, you know. Is is it the, is this the type of thing, Tony, that you just have to pretty much manage the rest of your life? You have to do you have to get ongoing treatments and just keep an eye on it? Is is it that sort of thing? More or less, I, I usually go in every six weeks uh, and have blood tests and all the rest of the stuff. Um, so they, they try and keep on top of it as much as they can for to see if there's any change, you know. Of course, any kind of any time I get so and it was pain here or there, but oh my god, you, you start worrying. You know, it's one of those things you live with really now. But I feel fine at the moment. Yeah, and have you have you had the opportunity? Have you talked to other musicians who are dealing with things like this? I mean, I think of a guy like I don't know if you know him or not, Vivian Campbell, who's who's in Def Leppard. Yeah. I talk to Viv all the time and just check in on him. And uh, you know, same thing. He sort of has to go in and out and get ongoing treatments, and he just knows it's something that's manageable and he has to keep up with. Is it a similar sort of thing? And do you have others in the music community that you've spoken to about it? I don't really. I, I do. Um do a lot for the cancer uh, uh, hospital. In fact, I'm a patron of the of the hospital um, in Birmingham, a huge hospital here uh, on the cancer ward. And uh, I, I, I talk to patients there, but I haven't actually spoke to many musicians. I, I mean, I know Viv had, uh, had the same problem. He has to go and get checked and everything. But I've never really spoken to him about it. I don't, you know, I don't have an opportunity to see people these days. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, you did something charitable for that hospital there in England, did you not? Did I see that there was a was there an event or an auction or something that you did recently? Yeah, well, originally, you see, I was going to do. I've been doing these evening with Tony Iommi and being interviewed and uh, and doing raising money uh, like that, really. Uh, but of course, the one I was supposed to do got cancelled because of the, the virus. So I wanted to do something quick. Uh, so what I thought, well, I can auction some items. And, and, and that's really what we did to try and raise money quick for the uh, hospital here. Well, that's, that's, that's fantastic. So, you know, of course we're talking about, uh, you know, we're talking about, uh, health battles and things like that. And it's hard to believe, but, uh, we're at the point where it's been 10 years since we lost Ronnie and it, it, it's, it's, you know, I, I do a lot, uh, with his, with the cancer fund that Wendy set up. I host the events. I see geezer all I the time. I see geese all the time. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you know this, Tony, but I've turned geezer into a bowler. Did I don't know if he told you that or not. <laughs> no, he hasn't. <laughs> so he, he, he came and, he came and bowled twice now, two years in a row on my team for the Dio cancer fund. And the first year he did it, he came up to me and he said, 
Uh, I've never bowled in my life. I said, how is that possible? And he came with his own shoes. And uh, the first time he bowled quite well. And then the second time, which was not too long ago, uh, I think, I don't know, maybe uh, he... He just—he didn't do quite as well. Let's just leave it at that. But he's really into it now. He's—he bowls once a year with me, and there's there's footage and uh, photos of of me who I, I am not a good bowler instructing him how to bowl. I said, if anyone would have ever told me in my childhood that I'd be showing Geezer Butler how to bowl, it's just. But he's very into it. I don't know if you've spoken to him about it. No, it's funny because. Bowling is one thing we we never did. I mean, we used to do a lot of things together with the band, but we never, no, never ever done that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's funny. No, I do stay in touch with Geese as I, as I do with the others, but um, but now he's never mentioned that. Yeah, well, you know, ask him next time you speak to him. Say, hey, hey, Eddie Trunk tells me you're quite the bowler these days. You know, <laughs> he had his own he had his own shoes and his ball. He was all into it. So we're gonna have to get him some lessons though because he's uh, he struggled last time. We lo- first time he bowled with me, we won the championship of the tournament. Second time he didn't do so well, but uh, it's all for good fun and it's all for charity. And it's great that uh, he's out there. He's out there doing some stuff. You know, he's got this band. He's working on his. I'm sure you know Deadland Ritual. Have have you gotten yeah. the the bug at all to to play music, Tony? Are you writing? Are you thinking about doing something musically at some point? We know Sabbath is retired for the most part, but have you thought about doing some stuff? Yeah, I'm, I am. I still every night I play and put something down. But um, funny enough, Eddie, I was due to be working now with my engineer, but of course we can't have a, you can't have anybody in your house. Um, so because of the lockdown, uh, and, um, it, which is Mike Exeter I've used for, for years, you know, right? and he'd done the Sabbath stuff with us and whatever. And, uh, we planned, we got it in the book to come over and start putting some, some of the things I've got here down because I've got so much stuff. I just want to get the, the things down now. Um, so that was the original plan. And, and of course it's, uh, it went pear shaped and I spoke to him today, funny enough on this and we're talking maybe we might try this where you can do it with the zoom uh over the internet and swap out you know he can record me somehow but uh hopefully when it all clears up then yes we'll we'll definitely be starting yeah i do have the bug to to do do something i I mean certainly not world touring and stuff like that but i do enjoy playing what what do you envision when you, when you say get it down? You mean you want to get your parts down? Uh, what, what do you envision doing with it, or what would you like to do with it? Would it be in the form of a a solo record? Are you thinking, or maybe work with some of the other uh, folks from the Sabbath years that are, that are? I mean, you know, you've done stuff with Glenn Hughes, of course, um, Tony Martin. I mean, where 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 would you think direction wise it would go? Well, there's just nothing actually set in stone, Eddie. I've got a few ideas and uh, uh, a couple of big things that could happen. But what what my plan is at the moment is just to, uh, when I say put it down, see, a lot of my stuff, I actually actually do record on a a phone and I put the ideas down just uh, on an acoustic or or an electric guitar. Just just quickly, I put the ideas down and I, I have them copied onto a, uh, C- CD. I'm still into CDs. I don't go Me into too. all the. I don't. 
No, not too technical. Yeah, no, um, I love CDs. And, and, yeah, and then I, um, what the plan is, why I, when I say put them down, I want to then get Mike over and then we'll start putting some uh, drums and, uh, and, and, and bass in it and then uh, do a guitar so we can make it sort of like a proper, a proper band, really, proper sound, and then decide who's gonna, who I'm going to work with on it. I just want to have something to present whoever I'm going to be working with or or if not uh, at least have something there you know that sounds reasonably good I mean I've talked to you about this years ago but you, 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 everybody rightfully thinks of you as one of the all-time great the greatest riff master and overall great guitar player as well and you have are are you the kind of guy though Tony that you have a bank of riffs, like, are you constantly, even now, things coming into your head that you're reaching for the phone, or, or you also, or do you also have a huge backlog of them of things that haven't been used that you repurpose? Is it both scenarios, or do you only write for the moment? Well, both actually. I've got, I've got so many things down on CD uh, that I've done in the past. Like when we were doing the the thirteen album, I. I I wrote most of those ideas before we ever started doing the. I mean, when I presented them to the rest of the guys, I had three or four CDs full of just riffs, and I played them to the other guys, and uh, and then we picked out what which ones that they liked, and um, I'd do some with them. We'd sort of work on the format of them, but most of the stuff uh, I'd, I've done like that, and I, and I've got so many more that. Um, I'd like to use and, and but I tend to sort of don't go back on them all the time. I'll I'll do them and then put them away and then do something new because I keep coming up with new ideas. But I need to now, and I should take the opportunity now while I've got to stay in the house of <clears throat> of looking back over them and seeing what I've got and trying to uh, make a lot of them. But there's so there's so much stuff. I mean, I've got stuff that goes back for years, you know. Do you? I mean, the first Sabbath album, as you know, recently turned fifty years old. Do do you? Yeah. How, how do you? What are what are your thoughts about that? And and do you have material and outtakes from that early on? No, I don't have anything from that period. I I do have stuff from when we were rehearsing, probably round. I don't know, Masters of Reality, Sabotage, uh, maybe on them. There's bits of stuff. But again, I don't know where half of them are. I've I've got them, but I don't, I've got so much stuff that I probably wouldn't go back that far. I mean, it, and and some of the things I do remember anyway. I remember in my head for some reason. I'm I'm pretty good at remembering those things. Everything else I can't remember, but I can remember riffs. Uh, so I tend to sort of uh, can hold riffs in my head. So there are there is quite a lot of stuff, and um, it's just a matter of picking out now. And I've got the. The opportunity now, where before when I was touring all the time, you don't have time to sort of, uh, you, you know, you're more concerned with the, doing the show and your sound and everything else. But now, and I've not been touring for a while, it's it sort of, it's good to be able to reflect and look at this stuff again. Yeah, organization is the biggest problem that I have. I, I mean, just when I look at my own radio career, which is almost 40 years now, I have boxes lined up in my basement of in every format, whether it be CDs or DATs or mini discs or whatever. And some of it's labeled, some of it isn't. And I, it just gets overwhelming. And I just turn my back on it. And I say, oh, 
the hell with it. I can't worry about it. <laughs> Another 10 years yeah, goes that's by and that's the biggest problem. So I can only imagine maybe something similar for you where it, it becomes overwhelming at some points. Well, it, it, it has. I mean, I've got stuff that was on like uh, the, um, the old tape stuff and uh, I had it transferred to, to uh, cassette. My guitar tech transferred a lot of stuff to cassette and then from cassette to CD um, and it's, I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling to, to sit there for hours listening to stuff. You can only do so much. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's great to have it. I mean, I'm not complaining about having it. I'm really pleased. I just, it's just, there's so much stuff that I need to sort it out. But I'd sooner be in that position than not having anything. And you're and you're still creating. The way the way you come up with stuff, do you sit down and and grab a guitar and say I'm going to work on writing some songs right now or is it the type of thing where it's it just comes to you and then you stop what you're doing and oh let let me grab it I mean I've talked to artists who do it all different ways they have to dedicate time to sit down and write and others will wake up in the middle of the night and put something down how how is it how does yeah. it work for you and is it different now than how it used to be No I can tend to go in a a, a room um and, uh, and start coming up with stuff. What I tend to do now at the moment, I tend to wait till I go to bed for some reason. I don't know why that is, but uh, maybe I'm more tired and I can come up with stuff. I don't know. And um, I come up with, you know, I might put five or six ideas down within, you know, 10 minutes uh, and then don't go back to them. I just put them down and then I'll probably do someone else tonight and then someone else tomorrow. So they just mount up. But they're only, only bits, you know, just a riff. But that's when the time will come then, when I'll listen to these and say, oh, oh I like that riff. And then I'll make something of it, you know, make something with it. Uh, so I tend to do them, come up with them on the spot, really. Are you are you okay with how Sabbath ended? I mean, it's been a little while now. the The final run, the final tour. Are Are you okay with how how it's ended? Uh, was Was that a good experience for you the last go around? Uh, it, it was great to be able to go out and do a, a final tour. I mean, to, to be honest, I felt a bit bad with it because basically it was my choice, my fault. Because um, you know, touring for me at that extent wasn't a good thing for uh, physically. You for know, your health. Of my health. To, right. Yeah. I mean, to, to get in at four o'clock in the morning from doing the gig after you've done the gig and fly back to the hotel, you know, it was, there was a lot of late nights and uh, you're living a life of, uh, like I used to when I was 20 and it, it just, I mean, even though we were traveling the best where we had our own plane, we had fabulous hotels, and we'd, we'd base ourselves, say, in New York or Los Angeles for 10 days and somewhere else, somewhere else, and do it like that. Go out, do the gig, fly out, do the gig, come back. Uh, but by the time you'd done that, you got back into the hotel. It's usually, you know, three or four o'clock by the time you get to bed. And uh, it, for me, uh, now, it, it just it, it was just difficult. And uh, my, my doctor said to me, you know, it's, uh, to try and, calm me down a bit and it just seemed like the right thing to do at that time and it was to finish I mean if it had been with me I mean especially after the runny thing I mean I really loved that period uh, 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 when we had back to Dio you know um, we, were, we were really cracking on with that band and it was great band and 
but and then we done the Sabbath in Rios, which was great as, as a, a finish up, you know. But I should think if Ronnie was alive, I'd probably be doing something with him now, you know. Yeah, well, that that's that. So, so you you don't rule out ever playing live again. It, it doesn't sound like just large scale touring. If the opportunity came up, uh, it, it sounds like you'd be open to doing a show or two somewhere, but not necessarily the rigors of the road. Yeah, I think I think that'd be good if if you could do that. I mean, the hard thing is, is because certainly with Sabbath, it got to such a big thing where you can't just do an occasional show because of the, the crew. You have to have the amount of crew. You've got to have the whole setup, And it had to be a, a year or, or 18-month tour. <clears throat> uh, you know, to be able to go out and do, say, uh, every couple of weeks, do four shows or something, that, that would be fine. But um, I don't know. I, I, I'm not opposed to doing anything. I just uh, would do it in a different way. But I'm more, at the moment, one of get myself with with the music, get together and see what I'm going to do with it, really, and see if I want anybody on it or or not. Yeah. Vocal, vocally, that is. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, would you consider doing an instrumental record? Is that something that appeals to you? Well, everything is open at the moment, to be, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been offered to do some film music and stuff like that. Uh, so everything's sort of, uh, I'll leave it all open, and, and whatever comes along, and if it sounds good and I get excited about it, then that's sort of the way I'll go. But um, uh, and the good thing is, that you don't have to do it, so it makes it takes a bit of pressure off. You know, if I say I'd like to do it, then it's good because it's my choice, and I say, well, I'll do that. You know, when you but when you book in tours like we had, when you when you first go, oh, yeah, it's great, let's go and do it, let's go and do it. And then realize it's 18 months you've got to go on for. You think, oh, you get halfway through and blimey, I'm really tired. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but you know, that's, but I loved it. I, I loved it. I loved, there's nothing better than actually being, playing on stage. It's, it's such a great excitement. And, uh, yeah, I thoroughly, I do miss that. You know, and, and one other project that I wanted to ask you about uh, before I hit you with a few other things is you, you had said, uh, I had read, I don't know, a year or two ago, I thought something real interesting that you were going to revisit and maybe remix or work on a Sabbath record that a lot of people may not even realize uh, came out because it didn't do well and it was it was poorly received at the time. But the record you did with Tony Martin called Forbidden, um, there was reports yeah. that you were going to revisit and wanted to, to redo that record in some way. Is that something you're still yeah, considering it, it, doing? It's done. It's all done. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I went in and done that uh, ooh, quite a while back now. <clears throat> um, but of course, it's being held back because we've got the stuff, different stuff coming out. You know, we've had the Aussie stuff and going on, and then we'll have the duo stuff. So we don't want to bombard everything at once. So it'll come out at the right time when when it's ready, really. But but it's all it's all as far as uh, the mixing and that. Yeah, it's just, and I I mean I think it sounds better, but it might not. <laughs> but I was pleased with it. So you went in and I mean, remixed that got, record. That, is that what you did? You remixed it? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's hard. To, you can't add it. You can't start going and change it, which I, obviously me, I like to go in and go, oh, I'll change that bit. I'll change it. But you can't. 
it has to be like it was because it was out and people know how it goes. So what we've done is trying to thicken the sounds up on, on the drums and, 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 and just, just make it more full. And why that record, Tony? Is that because of what I said? Because that you felt that record was somewhat overlooked, and you wanted to, of all the records in your catalog and all the stuff you did post original lineup, is that is is it because that record was so sort of, uh, I guess certainly in America not well received that you wanted to give it another look? Well, I wanted to, for my own personal thing, really, just to make it so I make it sound better, right? Um, and it was one of the records I could get hold of and do it. Uh, I'd have liked to have done it, to be to be honest. We'd born again, but we can't find all the tapes. Some of the tapes have got lost, mm. and nobody seems to know where they are. But I'd have loved to have done it with Born Again, because I think that could have sounded far better. Yeah, I would love to hear that uh, remixed as well. Although that's always a really interesting record because that album was also not well received, at least here in America at the time. But in retrospect, there's a lot of people that love that record and actually do love the the sound of it. Um, you know, I, I'd love to hear an alternate mix of it, but that record has really grown in in stature with people in, know, in recent funny, decades. It, yeah, it's funny how that happens. It's it's the same as the Tony Martin stuff, you know, when you do it, and, and then it takes years before people go, oh, yeah, I really like that. Oh, that was good. I've never heard that. And it sort of start catching on to it. Because, I mean, Tony done some great stuff, you know. He'd, uh, he'd done some good work, I think, with Tony. You, you know, yeah, you, yeah, the Tony Martin stuff, of course, but, you know, I, I had a chance to tour with Deep Purple, uh, and travel with them about a year and a half ago. They toured Mexico, and I, I, I spent a lot of time with those guys. And I, Ian Gillen was nice enough to to ask me to dinner one night. And I had a, I had like a four hour. I know Ian, you and Ian are close, and I, I had like a four hour dinner with Ian, and he was ordering you know, sambuca and tequila. And, you know, yeah, I know. Well, yeah, I'm sure you do. It was wonderful, wonderful desserts, and we just we we just had a, an amazing night, and we just talked about everything. And he said uh, he was. We were talking about Born Again, and I said, you know, that album has taken on new meaning. People really do love that record now. And he said something to me. He said, "Yeah." He goes, "It was a, it was a fun time." And he said, uh, "I just remember I got in trouble from my manager." And I said, "What happened?" He said, "Well, he said I got so drunk one night the guys asked me to join the band." He said, "I said yeah." It hit the press. He said, "I got a call from my manager." He said, "Before you go and join a major band, you might want to consult with me." <laughs> Do you recall it happening exactly, that way? <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah, we 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 met up in Oxford at a, a famous pub there called the Bear. And uh, he'd come in from Kuala Lumpur, he'd flown in from. And um, and Giza and myself arranged to meet him in Oxford, uh, which is not far from me here. And uh, we got in this pub, we ended up there at, I don't know, 11 o'clock in the morning. And uh, we were there all day, <laughs> all day. They locked us in at the end, and, and we were so drunk at the end. Um, and... Um, and of course, he, he he agreed to join, and we agreed to doing some doing something together. And uh, yeah, his, man, his manager Phil Bamford said, "Ian, if you're going to make any big decisions, can you let me know first? <laughs> <laughs> it was funny, but I must say we had some bloody 
great fun. And it, Ian's a really good friend, and I've just uh, not that long ago did uh, um, was together with him again. We went to Armenia, and um, because you guys did that charitable, you did that charitable recording for the for the uh, there for the schools, did, right? Yeah, we did. That was many years ago, uh, and then we just the two of us put something together to raise money to build a school there. And we had uh, Nico from Iron Maiden sure. play on it and, and Jason from uh, the bass player from Metallica. And um, and it was great. I mean, we we done a couple of songs uh, to put on an album and Ian put some of his stuff and I put some of our stuff and whatever to raise money to build this school and uh, we managed to do it. So we went over... Uh, I'd never seen the school because I, I was on tour at the time while all that was going on. Uh, but uh, this time I had an opportunity to go over and uh, the president invited us over for, for dinner, Ian and myself. So off we go to to Armenia. And it was it was fantastic. I mean, we had a great time. And Ian and myself had a, had a really good time and chat and drink and everything else. <laughs> but that no, was very good. Yeah, he's he's he. I really enjoyed the time with him, and he, uh, you know, he and I have stayed in touch. And it, it, it's funny when I think about it because we the, the, about an hour and a half into the dinner, you know, I, I'm sure you know he has a, a a woman that travels with him that looks after his health because he has some yeah, some yeah. health issues, and she is he's ordering desserts and tequila, and she's just shaking her head with her hand in her face, going, "Oh boy," <laughs> and I said, yeah, "It's your job to look after him." I can't even imagine. <laughs> Oh, yeah, she was there when we went to Armenia because I had my PA and he had his. And uh, both of our PAs are trying to look after us. And, of course, you know, once you sit with Ian, you, you're sitting with him and we end up talking about old times and, and then we even talk about, let's do something together again. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. <laughs> so it's like, it's never changed. It's great. He's a good mate and um, we get on great. And he's singing really well now. He, uh, last time, and Purple just made a new record, which they've delayed because of the virus. But he's, he's, um, I was speaking to him about it. He said, you know, now that he's in, you know, well on in, in years, he had to adjust the way he sings, but he sings really, really well. It's the best I've heard him in a really long time. Uh, that that purple stuff, not easy to do, but he's really found a, a comfort zone with his voice now, I think. Well, that's the thing, isn't it, with anybody of, of our age and from our generation. It, you, you, your voice, you, you can't do what you did 40 years ago. It's impossible. There's very, really many people. I mean, Glenn Hughes is one of the ones that's been extremely yeah. lucky, and he's he's been able to. He can go out and he can really cut it, but a lot of them can't because it, you, your voice changes, and you you know, and same as playing wise, you, you're not as fast as you were forty years ago. You know, you, you just change and you, and you adapt to that. And um, yeah, so I can see Ian adapting to it because I mean, he he used to sing really high. Um, uh, with, with purple, and when he came with us, and, and we done born again, he we done a track that he, he started singing really high on, and uh, bloody hell, he's never going to be able to do this live. But he would have a go. But yeah, he was great. Yeah, you talk about Glenn, who I speak to often, and and he he's I just call him a freak. Glenn is aging in reverse. I mean, he he's grown his hair oh, out no. again, his voice. I mean, I I saw him do a Deep Purple show. I, I, I 
he's five feet away from the microphone and it's still soaring it's glenn i told him i said you you, you've you've made some sort of deal with the devil or something because uh he's he's ridiculous i don't know what's going on with that guy he's 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 truly absolutely phenomenal you you can't believe it can you i mean i know all all the stuff he went through in the early days and uh and he's come out of it, and he, he sort of wants it more than ever, and he's determined to do it, and he goes out with the right attitude, he loves what he does, and uh, he, boy, he can sing, he can sing. Yeah, really can. Hey, so I want to talk to you about another guy that could certainly sing, and that is Dio, who we lost 10 years ago, and, and Heaven and Hell turned 40 a week or so ago. I want to talk to you about that, but but one thing that I want to go back on that you had mentioned, so when I asked you about Forbidden and when that might come out, you said, well, there's the Aussie stuff and the Dio stuff. Uh, is there stuff coming in the pipeline from those eras of the band? Are there reissues or are there uh, unreleased material? Do you have projects lined up with those eras coming? Well, well I can't talk too much about that because it's all in the pipeline. It's they're putting a, a, a thing, a package together, and the, the Dio stuff will be one of them. Um, and, you know, again, we go sorting around to find stuff that's odd bits, you know, that people haven't heard. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's what we sort of done with the, the Aussie years, and and they always seem to put out these box sets, you know. It's not just us, it's the record company that want to sure. do it, and, you know. Uh, so we go along with it. If, if it can be a good package, that's great. Uh, but Ronnie certainly deserves to get uh, aired more now. Well, there was there was what started the whole because I was there. I, I interviewed you guys in Birmingham. It was oh six, I, I believe. Remember, yeah. uh, so this, what yeah. started the whole third and final run with Ronnie was the fact that there was that Dio Years collection that came out with the three new songs on it, and then that led to yeah. the whole full fledged reunion. So, is there is there material you'd like to revisit from that era, or stuff that you want to put out another collection? Maybe some unheard things. Well, as I say, I can't really say too much okay. about it, Ed, because I don't much know what's going to go on it. But we have got bits and dabs that's uh, that's been about uh, right. from beforehand, um, and um, you know, I mean, uh, we'll have to see. But it'd be great to have a, a nice package out of, of the Ronnie stuff. Is it uh, for me? Heaven and Hell uh, just turning forty. Uh, is crazy to me. Um, I've told you guys this many times in the past. For me and many others around my age, Heaven and Hell was my introduction to Black Sabbath. It was my first Sabbath record. And to me, still to this day, it's an amazing record that sounds I- incredible. Um, are, are you amazed at how Heaven and Hell is looked at now? Because I imagine at that time, even though you had an incredible singer with Dio, the prospects of moving forward without Ozzy had to be daunting. Uh, now it's an incredibly celebrated record and period of the band, but at that time, I imagine it was quite difficult. Well, it was. We took we took on something because we believed in it, and we just went ahead against all, oh, it's not going to do any good, you're never going to do it, you know. And the idea was we just, we just played it because we enjoyed what we did, and when we did that album, we we knew we had a good album, great album, and it was really exciting again to be able to redo 
to, to do stuff in a different way, you know, to, to write with a different person. And Ronnie was great to, to work with, you know, to sit down and, and write. It, we, it was a different way to working with Ozzy because Ozzy had his way of, of, of singing and, and we didn't want to bring somebody else in after Ozzy'd gone who sounded like Ozzy because we had a couple of people who had who, who claimed they sounded like Ozzy. I mean, Ozzy's Ozzy and that's it. There's only one Ozzy. Uh, so, so Abby and Ronnie was such a different vocal uh, way of singing and also he was you know, he was a musician as well, so you could sort of say, well, you're artist, and he'd go, yeah, why, why don't we change that bit? And it, it worked, you know, you try, you try, we taught him stuff, and he showed us stuff. It was it, it just a nice combination. <clears throat> him coming I remember in, when we did... Go ahead, I'm sorry. I remember when, when we did Die Young. Um, I mean, Sabbath was always doing time changes and stuff like that, and uh, suddenly dropped down to a quiet bit. And I remember when we were putting Die Young together and, and, and I dropped down to this quiet bit in the middle where it goes, Die Young, da, da, da. And Ronnie goes, well, you can't do that. I said, well, yeah, you can. I said, we, we, you know, we, we do it many times. This is how we write. We do a quiet bit and a loud bit. And, and and at the end of the day, he said, well, bloody hell, yeah, it's really good. I really like it. And he got into the way we wrote and we, we sort of helped each other, if you know what I mean. It, was, uh, it sort of worked as a good package did you guys um at that time tony you you found you you i'm I'm assuming ronnie first came to your attention from rainbow had you seen rainbow had you toured with rainbow did you go to see uh dio playing with rainbow is that where he first got on your radar as a potential new singer for sound no no i met ronnie at at, at a party and um we were talking uh, and it was a it was a funny time for me because I was getting a bit disgruntled with everything because we were, you know, things weren't sort of happening so well with us and, uh, you know, the band was coming to a funny stage in our lives and, and nothing was happening. And I was, I really got a bit sort of, oh, God, you know. And um, and I actually thought of sort of doing something myself and, uh, and when I talked to Ronnie, the idea was at first maybe we could do something together. And then when it came to uh, the Aussie went, I called Ronnie and I says, look, you know, we got Aussie's no longer with us. He's, he's left and, you know, um, would you be interested? So, yeah, yeah. So he, he came over and we, we sort of did a sort of an audition. He auditioned us. We auditioned him. And um, it, we were really happy. We were all happy. It worked really well. And it, it was it was exciting again. It was it was a challenge for us, you know, because we didn't know, you know, the fans have to accept it, of course. But it was something we felt that was right. And I know when we had, when we went to Don Arden and said, well, about Ronnie, and Don's comment was, you can't have a midget singing for Black Sabbath. I mean, I said, Don, you've got a, his voice, it's, it's, it's just that voice, you know. And the way Ronnie sang was, um, it just added a dimension to it that we that we hadn't had before. Because with Ozzy, it was it was great the way Ozzy sang for what we were doing then. But when Ronnie came in, we started we changed the way of writing. Heaven and Hell was a different way of writing to where it would have been with the other stuff before that. 
because where Oz would, could sing on riffs, Ronnie didn't particularly want to sing on a riff, he'd sing on chords. So it was a different way for us too, so um, it was a challenge, but it worked. Were there thoughts at that time? Because you, you're right, obviously the end of Sabbath with Ozzy at that time was, was a rough time as far as the condition you guys were in, the records, the quality of the shows. Was there a, a thought in your mind at that point when you started entertaining, working with Ronnie, that it would be a different project? Or was it always going to be continuing with Bill and Geezer and and bringing in Ronnie under the Sabbath name was it always was it always going to be Sabbath or was there th- some thoughts that well maybe I'll just grab Ronnie and we'll do something brand new? No, um, once once he came in, it was uh, it, it, it was with Bill and and Geezer and and uh, at the time then though Geezer was going through a few problems, so he he left. So it was a bit it was a bit all over the place to be fair. Uh, because he had he had some problems of his own going on, which I won't go into, but he did, and um, he, he left, and so he went, oh crikey, and that's why I brought Jeff Nichols over just to stand in a bit, you know, to try and uh, to try and help out because Ronnie played bass in a sort of a fashion, <clears throat> and um, we tried various bass players, you know, uh, the guy from Boston, uh, the bass player, and and some other guy from Ginger Baker's band. So we tried various ones. It, it just went right. Uh, and, and in the end of the day, thank goodness, Geezer came back. But he came back at a later period once we'd written a fair bit of Heaven and Hell. But he came back in time to play bass on the whole record? Yes, he did, yeah. So yeah. He, got, he got in in time for, re- for recording? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And do you remember, Ronnie always told me the first song that you and and uh, he ever wrote together was Children of the Sea, which is amazing to me because it's such an amazing song for that to be the first thing. That would tell me pretty quickly, yeah, this is going to work. Is Do you remember <laughs> that experience? Do you remember that first writing session? Yeah, I do. Well, I, I had that riff beforehand because we tried that uh, with us. And um, it 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 was just one of those you play, and, and that was it. He never sort of done anything with it. And uh, so, once Ronnie came in, we developed it into a song. So that was the first one we we sort of worked on, really. Ah, uh, that's that that it's just so that was that was knocking around for a little bit then, and it finally came to written. Yeah, I had the riff. I had the beginning part, uh, the the choir part, and then uh, and then the riff where it goes loud I had that part uh, and that's as far as we went and um, so as we as Ronnie came in then we started working on it you know I just spent a lot of time on my show with Vinny Apice I had Vinny on a week ago and Vinny Vinny was uh, you know sharing a lot of great stories about his time which wouldn't would come pretty quickly here in this in the storyline but we were talking about the live shows at the time with Dio being introduced as the singer in Sabbath. And Vinny had said that it, even when he got to the band playing live, that although there were a lot of fans that loved Ronnie in the band, there was all, it was also pretty rough for him on the road at times because people were upset, where's Ozzy, and that sort of thing. What, what was your yeah. view on that? Was that, a t- was that a tough thing? Were you able to encourage Ronnie through it? Did he get very despondent about it at times? H- how did that go down? It was... 
pretty resilient one. He sort of would battle through it, you know. Um, and, and he knew it wasn't going to be an easy task to do. And uh, you can't replace Ozzy as such. You can't replace him. Ozzy was Ozzy, and, and that was it. So to bring Ronnie in, you've, then you've got to try and uh, everybody to accept, or, or as many people as you can to accept Ronnie, and expect the, uh, accept the band the way it was then. Um, so it, it did, it was a bit of nail-biting at first, but we just battled through it, and obviously there was people that, that, would, that would, wouldn't hear anybody else but Ozzy, they wanted Ozzy. And then there was people that go, oh yeah, this is, I like this. So you have to sort of go through that period. And I can understand that because, you know, if you've got a band and, and uh, you're a fan of the band, you're a fan of the band and anybody that goes, it's like, oh, well, he's not with them now. Um, and, if, and particularly if a singer goes, it's even worse, really. Uh, so it was difficult. It, it, it was very difficult. But we, but we plodded on. And at the time, we had everybody against us then. I mean, Don Harden who was at the time sort of managing us. And uh, uh, it was a difficult situation to, to replace Ozzy uh, uh, at that time. And because we were, we sort of fell out with Don as well. Because uh, we, 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 we were convinced we, we, what we got and we were happy with what we got. And that was basically Bill and myself then. Because Geezer at the time had, had, had sort of uh, gone away to sort his problems out. And then when he come back, we were sort of, we got some stuff lined up that he could hear and say, oh, yeah, I like that. And then obviously Geezer put the final touch on it, you know, and uh, brought it back to a Sabbath thing again. I mean, it's such a it's such an interesting period for me because out of that, you, you, you're coming off of, with Sabbath at that point, not only introducing to many a new singer, but even if you look back at the last run of touring that you did and the last go round with Ozzy, which I guess would have been seventy eight, seventy nine, I mean that that was that was equally for different reasons a really rough time for you guys, right? I mean the, those the wheels were sort of coming off on that final Ozzy tour. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. Uh, it was. It was difficult for us. I mean, we, I think that last tour, we took Van Halen out with us. and um, That ha- that couldn't have made it easy having them open for you as no, a young band. Was, there's some video footage. There's some, Tony, I don't know if you've seen, there's some video footage from Fresno. Um, I could send you the, email you the link. It's, it's uh, the, the, there's a guy in Fresno, California. I don't know how, but back in those days, he set up a camera in the audience somewhere hidden and, and really? all the bands that came through that arena, he filmed their performance and he's just now 40 years later, 43 years later, putting out these clips and he has footage of you guys playing there, but he also shot Van Halen opening for you. And I was just like, my gosh, can you, can you imagine if you're Sabbath who are sort of creaking along at that point and you've got this guy coming out ahead of you and, you know, David Lee Roth spinning around and Eddie Van Halen, the band was on fire. I was like, oh, my goodness, maybe that wasn't the smartest opening act booking at the time. <laughs> well, the thing was, you see, we, 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 we had opening acts. We didn't pick opening acts that, that we'd say, oh, we're better than them or we'll do this and we'll do that. We wanted a, a good show. We wanted to make it a good show. So, so any of that happened. Uh, uh, Van Halen made it a, a great show. They, they were really up and light. We were like sort of 
a bit dinosaur-y by that point, you know, and that, they were all new on the block and, and come out and very energetic and, and offered something different, you know, the way, certainly the way Eddie played, it, came, it was it, 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 a whole new way of playing. And it was great. And we got on really great with them. And I used to have Eddie back in my room quite a lot. We used to be talking about guitars and this and that. We had a, we had a great time. And I, he's still one of my dear friends. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was, they were good. They were bloody good. And they deserved to get, you could tell they were going to get somewhere. Yeah, it, it's it's it was pretty uh, it was pretty amazing to see that uh, that band that early on. So the the stuff with Ronnie that, that that first tour happens, and now forty years later, when you look back on Heaven and Hell, um, what are your thoughts on the record? When have do you do you ever go back and listen to your your old records start to finish, or do you just hear things when you have to play them? What what are your recollections on Heaven and Hell, and when is the last time you actually listened to it? Uh, I don't think it was too long ago. I, I really liked Heaven and Hell, I, uh, and Mob Rules I liked as well. Yeah. I mean, I must be honest, I, I really did. I thought they were great albums. And it's amazing, those albums, like you said, started a lot of people off. I, mean, I know people like Dave Grohl, and that that was their introduction to yes. that. Was through the Ronnie period, you know, Mob Rules, and um, and a lot of other people who were in the business, it introduced them to, uh, to it. Uh, but I, I thought they were really good records, and uh, I, I, when I listen to them, it takes me right back, and I think, bloody hell, that was, it was a really good band. And even though we finished up uh, with Ronnie on his last appearances, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it, was a, it was a great band, and it was a, it was free, you know, with, 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 with us now on the Sabbath tours of, of, of recent, we, we had a, a set that we'd do, and, and that was it sort of thing. But when we'd done the set with Ronnie, sometimes we'd, we'd change things, and it was it was a lot more freer. You know, I could play a solo for a long time, and Ronnie encouraged that, and it was good. I yeah. enjoyed that, and it was, it was sort of refreshing, you know. Yeah, when you look at Mob Rules and Heaven and Hell, I, I, I'm hard-pressed to pick which one I like better because I think they're they're both absolutely brilliant records. I think sometimes Mob Rules, how strong it is, can sometimes be a little overlooked because Heaven and Hell is uh, such a landmark record. But but to follow it up a year later with a record of that quality, do you remember a big dif- Was there any big difference in approach to doing Mob Rules versus Heaven and Hell in terms of the writing or the approach to it? <clears throat> well, I think at that point, well, obviously Vinny was on the mob rule, so it, it gave it sort of a different, uh, a different uh, character there. <clears throat> um, I think the, one of the first things we did, we we uh, we did for a, a movie track, the title and, track of um, the record, yeah, yeah, and um, so and we and we recorded the original version at John Lennon's house. And uh, it was great because <clears throat> Ronnie and Wendy came over to England and, and we were in England, of course, then. And uh, we stayed at the house. And in the studio there, we had the, we had the gear set up in, in one of the rooms first and we jammed just the gear that, of, of Lennon's. We didn't take our gear. We used the gear that was there. And, uh, and it, was, it, was, it just it had a vibe. The whole thing had a vibe when we done the original mob rules. Uh, but of course, when we actually come to 
recording it again for the album, um, Martin Birch wanted to redo it because he said, I want it to sound something in the same context as the rest of the stuff. But, uh, because obviously where we'd done it at Lennon's house, it was sounding different. It was more raw. Um, and it was, uh, it, it just got a nice feel about it. But of course we didn't use that on the album. We used the one we did at uh, the record plant. But no, it was, it was a great time. And that was sort of the first thing, I think, that we, we'd come up with, um, and uh, with Vinnie and, uh, and that. And of course, then, then the rehearsals and writing was, was much the sort of same. We'd go into a, a room and just just play, jam, and tape it. How, how long did you have the riff for Sign of the Southern Cross before it showed up on that record? One of the most enormous riffs ever, in my opinion. How, how, <laughs> how, long, how long was that one knocking around before, or was it written just for the record? No, it was written for the record. I mean, some of the... But most of the stuff I just I tend to do on the spot. I don't sort of sit and work stuff out much. I can generally I've been lucky enough to be able to go into a rehearsal room and start coming up with something, and 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 then somebody will go, "Oh, what's that?" I go, "Oh, I don't know," uh, <laughs> and I go, oh, "I like I like that," you know. And uh, so then we'd make some of it, um, and that was the, that was the thing of of, of, of uh, running a, a tape at the time as well because if you don't you forget what you had, you'd done and, and don't even realise it you play something and, and somebody might go oh that was a, a good riff you, you've done earlier and I go oh, what, what was that one then oh I can't remember it was a good one though oh uh, so we, we got to the thing of saying well what we're going to do is record everything so if if there's anything there and anybody says oh that was a good one an hour ago that you did you can go back and look so we tend to do it that way Tony, I appreciate all the time. I won't keep you much longer, I promise. I, I just I wanted to ask you about the live record, Live Evil, that documents those two yeah. records. There's so much said about that record over the years, the, the good, the bad, uh, stuff that it led to Ronnie leaving the first time, uh, you know, going in and altering mixes, arguments. Can you for once set the record straight now that so many years have passed about that period of time and the Live Evil record and, and what really went on? You know what, Eddie? I don't really know because we we obviously spoke with Ronnie about what went on, and uh, Ronnie totally denied it. And I, and I just think it could have been the engineer at the time trying to because he was obviously in a he was in a bit of a state at the end himself. He was drinking a lot and doing this and that and the other. And of course, he told Geezer and me that <clears throat> that Ronnie was coming in later. And changing the sounds, uh, changing stuff around the mixes and stuff, and uh, and that's sort of what started it off. Um, and um, because we'd say to him, "Well, it, it doesn't sound the same," and he'd go, mm, and he never said anything for a while. And then one day he just <laughs> said, "I've got to tell you, Ronnie's been coming in and uh, changing stuff around," and I don't know what to say. But as I say, now we can take it with a pinch of salt. Then it was quite. You know, oh, blimey. And uh, it got to a bit of a disagreement between us, and that was it, really. That's that's another album that you could think, uh, when you revisit your catalog, what we were talking about Forbidden a second ago, that's another record that you could potentially consider uh, giving a fresh coat of paint to somewhere down the line. Oh, I'd love to do that, absolutely, yeah. 
definitely. Because the performances are fantastic. And then just quickly moving forward through the, the Dio period, one of the things when you guys did come back together the last time, and, and of course we should mention you made a great record under the name Heaven and Hell with The Devil You Know there as well, which I want to touch on in a second. But when you came back together for that tour and the final run with Ronnie, one of the things that uh, came out of that for me as a fan was a whole new appreciation for Dehumanizer because Dehumanizer was hugely overlooked in the U.S. I think the time, uh, the trends in music yeah. at the time, um, Ronnie coming back again, I, I just think that it really was, even myself as a huge fan of the band in that era, I never really spent the time I should have with that record. And I remember when you when Ronnie came back in for the third and final time, he said, he said to me, I'm really looking forward to doing some stuff from Dehumanizer Live. And I didn't really say it to him at the time, but I'm thinking, mm, I don't know. When you got Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules, I don't know who's going to want to be hearing that. And then yeah. you guys came out and started playing After All and I and these songs. And I got to tell you, Tony, ever since that, uh, the biggest thing for me that come out of the last run with Ronnie was a whole new appreciation for Dehumanizer. It shed all new light on that record. I absolutely love it now. Yeah, I think the thing was, as you said, it came out totally the wrong time. The music trend had changed to a point where, you know, uh, it wasn't sort of accepted as much as it as stuff was. And it sort of got lost, I think, uh, Dehumanizer. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, you know, again, once you hear them again later, you think, oh, blimey, what happened there? Yeah, I missed that. Yeah. Do you have a do you have a, a final uh, a, a recollection and uh, memory and anything with the last run of touring with Ronnie that that you could share? I mean, and making that final record stuff like Bible Black and all that on there is still so good. Uh, do you do you have a you know do you have a great memory or something you can share from the final go around with Ronnie? Well, I mean, it, it was a great it was a great time. I, Ronnie came over to my house and and and. Um, we worked at, at my house for a bit, and Geezer came because uh, Geezer only lived a, a few. He got a house a few doors away from from me, and uh, obviously he lived in California. But he got this house uh, over my side as well. So Geezer stayed there for a bit while we were putting some ideas for that album, and uh, so he enabled us to do bits at my house. Then I come out to California and stayed there. And then we worked at Ronnie's house. Uh, and Vinny was involved as well. Vinny come out. Well, obviously there was no at Ronnie's house. There was no drum room or anything, so we ended up Vinny tapping on his on his leg. <laughs> but um, it, it was great. We had a, it was a great time, and and we really did put stuff together and pull it apart and put it together and pull it apart. <laughs> it got funny with Ronnie really because we'd be we'd be in his he had this studio in his basement and. Um, We'd be working there, and he'd, he'd disappear for half an hour, and um, he'd, he'd go and have his little joint, you know, and come back, and we're all ready to pack up, and he'd come down and go, hmm, I've got this idea, and we're going, oh, no, we're all, <laughs> we've, we've, we've had enough now, we're going to go home, we're going to go, go on, let's have a listen now. and then what about changing this, and, and, and what about that, and anyway, we'd do all that for another, we'd stay there another hour and a half, or whatever it was, me and Giza, Vin, and then... We come in the next day, and of course Ronnie wouldn't remember it. 
<laughs> and he go, and he go, oh no, I don't like that. I go, oh, it was your idea to change it. <laughs> <laughs> so, and we had some funny times, but it was great. I mean, we, I can't, I can't knock that at all. I think we had a great time putting that album together, and we had a great final tour with him. It really was. I really did enjoy it, and uh, I really did look forward to going on stage. It was a very professional outfit. Yeah, uh, you know there was no um, there was you you knew you were going to go on there and, and play and and do the show and, and come off and you'd be you know you could talk about it afterwards. Well, well, maybe we should try that tomorrow. Yeah, okay, we'll try that. And it was good. It was exciting. Yeah, like yeah, so I, I've got. Yeah, I, like I said, I mean, for me, as a, of course, I love the original Sabbath and all the stuff with Ozzy, but for me, coming into it as a kid at Heaven and Hell and being such a fan of that period, and then, you know, years later, being able to actually be a part of it when you guys did the final reunion and coming to Birmingham, I remember doing the interview with you guys that I think it was called Roxall Abbey, and we, That's it, yeah. we shot that TV interview there, and then going to all the shows and the laughs and the fun times. Uh, there was a lot of pranking that went on too something i don't remember the exact story but something happened at a jones beach show with you guys involving me and i didn't even know about it ronnie told you something <laughs> about me or vice versa i just remember getting there and one of you guys coming up to me and going oh bloody hell you were bullshitting me or something but you guys did a lot of pranking didn't you <laughs> all the time <laughs> i mean one particular one they got me a treat because i was always bloody pranking around and, and would get them and certainly get Vinny because Vinny weren't quite onto the case with, with, and then of course then he started pranking around <laughs> and they got me a, a treat I bought the one time we were, we were working in Wales doing a, the album and um, I just bought a, a brand new Range Rover just just picked it up and drove down to to Wales in it and uh they what they'd done the buggers. It, it, Ronnie and Vinny had gone out and bought a, <laughs> a, a, a big tin of oil and poured it all under my car. <laughs> and uh, and um, I come. Uh, they went. They came in. They said, "Oh, you know, you've got oil coming out of your car. We get out of it." And they went. You have. You've got this sort of oil coming out of the gearbox. I think. <laughs> so I rushed out. God blow out. Oh no! And uh, they really got me. They really got me. Yeah. Vinny. Um, so we did have we we did have a laugh. We did have some funny times. It was great. It was a, it was a good good lineup. Man. Tony Vinny told but again, me. You know, uh, go, no, go ahead. What were you going to say? <laughs> I was going to say again. You know, we had some great times with us. We had the, the Aussie lineup. It was just different. You know, it's yeah. a different time, a different period. And I wouldn't knock Aussie at all because he's a great performer, a great showman, and you know, he's, he's he really is a great character and a great guy. Uh, but, and again, with Ronnie, it was different, and we got on great in a different way, and uh, yeah, that does. Have you heard uh, Ozzy's new record? I haven't, actually, no. Yeah, that's, I it's... Yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it, you know, I think he was, unfortunately, I mean, he was just about to get started with some stuff. And then, of course, he's got his own health issues and uh, he's dealing with. And uh, and then, of course, nobody can tour right now because of the virus. But are you still, you're in, you're in touch with him still? You've spoken to him? Yeah, we we, stay, we actually stay in touch via text, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's best for us because he, he's not very good on the phone. He doesn't like to talk on the phone, so... Uh, you know, it's all very, very short. He used to call me up at bloody two o'clock in the morning at one time. 
eight-hour time difference, right? <laughs> yeah, and I'll be in bed, and, and it'll be Aussie. And I go, it's two o'clock in the morning. Oh, is it? Oh, all right, bye <laughs> then. Oh. <laughs> so we decided we'd stay in touch by text. Um, so, yeah, I do hear from him. Funny enough, I haven't heard from him for the last week, yeah. which is unusual. But, but normally, yes, he does stay in touch. La- last thing. Stay in touch. Last thing, I, prom- I promise you. Um, th- so you were talking about pranks. So I was talking to Vinny last week, and he told me that when you were, when you guys called him to come over for uh, the, the last run with Ronnie after Bill uh, didn't take part, yeah. that he did his own prank where he told, I think he said Wendy had called him and he told Wendy that he was about 400 pounds now because he let himself go since he saw you last. Yeah, he did did go, actually. Yeah, he said, oh, God, I put so much weight on now. It's like, you know, (laughs) and I thought, oh, blimey. You know, and uh, of course, obviously, when he walked in the door, we realized (laughs) He, he but, said. Uh, he said. He, he was looking as he was walking up the driveway to see three heads peering out behind the curtain <laughs> to see him get out of the car. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you see, see, he's learned. He's learned. He's learned how to do it all now. All the years he was with us, <laughs> uh, he started playing pranks. Yeah. Great stuff, great stuff. I, I, Tony, I can't thank you enough for all the time and for doing this. It's been too long. I miss talking to you, and uh, I really, really hope it's not uh, too long before we get to do it again. Is there anything you want to mention? I know you had uh, you did some, you're doing some stuff with Gibson again. I know Gibson Guitars is doing some great work. I know you did a you're, you're working with them a little bit. Are you coming out with a new guitar? Or anything that we should know? Well, they've they've done a. <laughs> An exact copy of my original uh, one on the first three or four albums, uh, which is, I really like it. I've got two of them here at home, and I play them all the time now. They really, I really do like them. And it feels like my original. It feels exactly the same. You know, I was so attached to my original one. Um, and, uh, you know, it would be in my room all the time when I was on tour. And I would never let it out of my sight. And I feel much the same about these. I've got one in, in my bedroom, and I play it, and I've got one in my studio. Um, and it feels great. I mean, yeah, they've done a, they've done a replica of it. And um, Gibson now, for me, they're, they're, they're really on the case. They, they do a, you, you know, the owners really want to, want to do the best they can. And they're really determined to do it. I really like their attitude, because after the, the last, owners i you know that's why i left really i wasn't i do i wasn't very happy with the way they went about things and it was a bit bit of a shamble but the new owners are really on the case and uh, I'm, I'm really pleased to be working with them yeah i know those guys jc and cesar are really great people and yep. i know they are working hard to sort of reinvigorate the brand and seem to be doing a great job with it and uh, uh, they're they're even doing some great stuff now during the quarantine, just trying to keep connected with artists. So it's it's great to see where where is the original original one, Tony? The very first guitar you said you never let it out of your sight. Did you lose it? Was it stolen? Yeah, well, Do you have it? I it was stolen once, and I got it back six months later. The record company found out it was in a uh, one of these uh, uh, pawn shops, and they they got it back for me. Um, and then I had it for a while, and then I, I decided at the end of that I was too worried to take it on the road with me because um, 
you know, when you get start touring in a bigger way and it, all the gear goes with, on the truck and uh, you can no longer take the guitar on the plane with you and all this stuff, it has to go in the hole. The hole. I thought, ah, oh, that's it, I'm going to retire it. And, and I wouldn't take it on the road anymore. I was just worried in case it got stolen or broken. Um, and at the end of the day, it was just sitting in, my, in a case with a number of other guitars. And I thought, well, it's a shame, really. And, and the guy from the hard rock that buys all the memorabilia, he said, he said, I'd love to buy that guitar. And I thought, well, that's great because it can be somewhere where people can see it. It's in a case. It's, it's, it's alive again, you know, instead of being in a box tucked away. And so that's sort of what we did, really. It's in New York in the Hard Rock. Oh, okay. So it's in the, it's in the Hard Rock location in Times Square. Oh wow! Well, I can go visit it then. It's not that far from me. <laughs> when it <laughs> opens again, hello, then. <laughs> yeah, it's um, that's what it that's what it is, and uh, yeah, it, I mean, it's a great guitar, and and I was so pleased that uh, Gibson wanted to reproduce that, and they they went along. I mean, and they they got it taken out of the Hard Rock. They loaned it so they could um, replicate copy it. it exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, it, it really is covered every little mark and dent and screw. All the screws are like rusty, like it is on the original. So they really have um, covered it pretty more near, damn it, you know. I mean, obviously inside, they couldn't fiddle around too much because they, they had to sort of take a, the uh, the prints from it and then get it back to New York. But um, it, it's near as damaged. The only thing they didn't do was in the um, in the control box uh, in, uh, when you take the back off I I had mine filled with uh, like a copper uh, plate to sort of help with the, with the sustain or uh, with the feedback and um, that's the only thing they haven't done but it, I mean I'm playing it here and it sounds great I really like it they've, they've duplicated the pickups exactly they, they've gone to the trouble of finding, locating the people in Birmingham who've made the original pickups, and uh, so they really have gone to town on doing it. Um, it's not cheap, but it's very good. Well, it's good to hear you're still playing. It sounds like you're you're uh, being as creative as ever, and we, we look forward to seeing. And I and I'm sure I'll be talking to you again. It sounds like soon once some of these projects begin to roll out. When do you think we'll see the first thing? Uh, depending upon you know what happens in the world, I guess with the virus, right? Well, again, yeah. I mean, I stay in touch with Ralph every day, so it's Ralph who keeps me in touch with what's going on with that, you see. So uh, I, I don't know. It's all pretty well up in the air at the moment, isn't it? Right, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, please stay in touch. That'd be great. I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, well, Tony, I, I can't thank you enough for the time. And again, I appreciate you doing this so much. It's great to hear from you. It's great that you're doing well. And, and stay healthy. And uh, hopefully when the world gets back to normal, uh, we'll be able to, to get together and, uh, and, and maybe some of these projects you're working on can start to, to roll out as well. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you, Eddie. I appreciate it, mate. God bless you. Huge thanks to Tony Iommi. Man, was that awesome. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing it. Thank you so much for listening wherever you are in the world. And a huge thanks to Tony Iommi for taking all that time to hang out and talk with me on my Sirius XM radio show, which again, every interview you hear on this podcast originates on Trunk Nation on Volume Channel 106 Daily.
But after a couple of weeks, I get to bring it to you to everybody free around the world here on the podcast. Spread the word and check out new episodes every single Thursday. Thanks to Katie Irizarry, the producer of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. I'll see you guys next Thursday for another all-new episode. Please stay safe, stay healthy. Hopefully we get back to normal soon. And be sure to also check out my website, eddietrunk.com. Have a good week. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.